This morning, we continue in our, in our series that we've titled Crossover, the Gospel of Reconciliation. Crossover, the Gospel of Reconciliation. And last week, uh, as we celebrated Easter, Pastor Sam uh, gave a powerful message about a crossover conversation, a conversation that Jesus had uh, with the Samaritan lady. Uh, found in John chapter 4, and, and John chapter 4 is always one of my favorite chapters in the book, and it's one of those areas where uh, we ought to pay a lot of attention to, and, and in particular, God, John says in, in verse 23 that the Father is desiring to have worshipers, those who come to worship him in spirit and in truth, so praise God for that. Uh, I would greatly encourage you that if you've missed any of these messages, uh, in this series, The Crossover, uh, they're on our website. Please take a moment, go out there and, and listen to any of those messages uh, that you may have missed. The foundational passage uh, that we've used uh, for this series, Crossover, is found in Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, uh, 2 Corinthians in particular, chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. I surely encourage you again to, to take a look at that, that chapter. It's just full of biblical truths that we need in our today's time. I do want to read verses 18 through 21 of that, that passage because it, it really sets the stage for what I want to speak to you about this morning. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, uh, Paul says this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to them the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. I really want you uh, to pay attention uh, to the way Paul describes those who have been called out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Uh, verse 20 says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to, the, to God. And then verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ambassadors for Christ. Um, and this morning, what I want uh, to put before you is what I call a challenge that goes specifically to these ambassadors for Christ. In fact, I want to call this message an ambassador's challenge. An ambassador's challenge. We're, we're going to be looking specifically at Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 32 through 36. Little Savannah read that for us uh, this morning, and, and I ask that you turn to that uh, because that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. But, but let, me, let me just talk with you a little bit about what does it mean to be a good ambassador? What does it mean to be a good ambassador? You know, a good ambassador understands that the agenda is not their own. Uh, they're not there to put out their thoughts and, and their plans and how they would want 
to do things. Instead, a good ambassador recognizes that they've been set forth to carry out the agenda of the sending agency. Uh, and for those who call on Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, no doubt the, the sending agency is the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and as we seek to fulfill our calling as good ambassadors, we must understand the importance of fully embracing the role we ought to play in the ministry of reconciliation. We need to understand the role we need to play as, as good ambassadors who seek to fulfill their role in the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, you know, when I think about the ministry of, of reconciliation, the first thing that pops to, to my mind, as Paul has told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's the first thing that I realize, and, and each of us should realize this morning. Uh, first of all, reconciliation starts with the fact that our broken relationship through the work of Jesus Christ has been restored. We have been reconciled with God. What a blessing that is. Uh, to know that our eternity is, is set, that one day we will reign forever with Christ because we first have been reconciled with God. But secondly, because of that reconciliation that we experience with God, it motivates us to be reconciled with one another. As good ambassadors, we ought to understand the importance of what it means that because God has reconciled us to him, we must move forward to be reconciled to one another. Individually, we need to understand that this reconciliation is based upon the fact that each person here is created in the image of God. Uh, God never makes a mistake. Every person in this room this morning, everywhere in this world, has the potential for living out the blessing of being an image bearer of God. And as image bearers, we ought to have great joy as we experience life together. Now, hey, the fact of the matter is that as we experience life together, sometimes it gets a, just a little bit difficult because that old sin nature wants to rise up. And, and sometimes it's just hard to, to just keep going on because that sin sometimes is always in front of us. We oftentimes fall short. And unfortunately, that's, that's just the way it's going to be until one day we, we become glorified in our glorified state. But, but as we struggle together, as we walk along the way in this unperfected perfected state, we should rejoice in the fact that God has made each and every one of us specifically the way he wants us to be. There should be great joy in our hearts when we get the opportunity to walk with someone else, to look at them and to say, you know, God has made that person just the way he desires them to be one day in their glorified state. Uh, if, the God, if, if the Apostle Paul is correct in saying that God desires us to be good ambassadors, we need to, reconcile, we need to recognize that the gospel and the ministry of reconciliation 
is not something that any good ambassador has the liberty to ignore. Uh, you have no choice. You must accept the ambassador's challenge of seeking reconciliation with other people, especially those who are of the household of faith. Uh, with the, the challenges in mind that God has already presented to, to, to be actively part of his plan of reconciliation with lost sinners and then with others, I think the, the passage in Luke presents a very good backdrop for us to take a deep dive into a very interesting area. Uh, Luke uh, presents to us in, in chapter 6 what many have come to know to call the, the Sermon on the Plain. The Sermon on the Plain. Now, it's, it's easy to confuse Jesus' teachings recorded here in the book of Luke with that which is recorded in the book of Matthew that is sometimes called and referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. So here we have in Luke, the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And let me say that uh, many theologians would argue that possibly these two messages are the same. But I think it's kind of interesting the Holy Spirit moved Brother Luke to record this message uh, with some subtle differences to that which is recorded in Matthew's gospel. For instance, Luke does not include the Lord's model prayer in the Sermon on the Plain, but Matthew does in the Sermon on the Mount. Luke does not report Jesus' interpretation of the law as Matthew does in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's one of my favorite. Luke does record in his uh, Sermon on the Plain that famous verse that I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with, and maybe some of us have even experienced. Uh, Luke records, he says, if the blind lead the blind, what happens? Everybody ends up in a ditch. Now, if you haven't experienced that, just come join me one day, and, and I'll show you what that looks like. When the blind leads the blind, everybody ends up in a ditch. And though there are very strong similarities, there are some, these, these subtle differences is what I would truly want to take a look at uh, this morning. Here's one difference that I think really pops out for me. In Luke's account, Jesus is going on the plain, down to the plain. In Matthew's account, Jesus is going up. And when they get to the, the, the area that the message is to be delivered, here's a very interesting difference as well. In Matthew's account, Jesus is said to be addressing his disciples. In Luke's account, Jesus is said to be speaking to a great crowd of his disciples and a, a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. A slight difference between uh, the, the two accounts. You know, it, it's highly likely that Brother Luke had access to Brother Matthew's writing. And so when, he, he took, when the Holy Spirit inspired him to record his account, 
I think this difference in the crowd really was significant uh, to take a look at. Uh, I really appreciate Dr. Luke's writings because he tends to be very precise. Uh, I think that's a, a tribute to his profession as a doctor. And so I was not surprised to see him take the time to note the diversity of the crowd that was assembled to hear Jesus' message. You know, I think Dr. Luke was looking down the channels of history, understanding that this would be an important area of consideration for God's people today. So, so he elected to, to highlight the fact that God uh, was preaching this message of expectations for all of his disciples, for all people, for all times, and for all places. You might be able to say that Matthew's emphasis was to challenge those who were of a privileged position. But Christ didn't want their inherent privileges to go to their heads. The Bible skillfully uses the conflict between Jews and Gentiles to represent the man-made barriers that exist between different people groups. Yet, in spite of the historic struggles of race and class, Jesus was able to forge a new family that crosses over all the barriers of division. But Satan immediately sees the threat to his kingdom. He sees the threat that the emergence of this new reconciled humanity will present to his agenda. So at the very beginning of the launching of the church, he begins to sow seeds of discourse. And sadly, that struggle continues. But this morning, I want you to know, Satan is a defeated foe. And his strategy to divide the church of Christ will not succeed. And although I've highlighted some differences between the crowd that is in Matthew's account and the crowd that is in Luke's account, there, there is a common bond that binds the two together. And that common bond is the ministry of reconciliation. We, we all stand in need of the ministry of reconciliation. And so as I've thought about preparing this message and I've had the chance to talk with the pastors here and my family and my colleagues here at the church, um, my, my heart is heavy because of the caustic environment that exists in our country today due to racism. And even as my heart is tender, especially to those who have who've lived under that burden all these years, my heart is also just a little bit tender here this morning for those of you that may be just a little weary of being told all the time, look how bad you are. My, my heart is just a, a little bit weary and heavy for my brother, brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing the best they can, but, but every time it seems like they're just being reminded 
of the struggles and issues that have been put into place because of their forefathers. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think that dialogue is, is truly needed, and it's very helpful uh, if it's done in the right way. I personally have experienced the abuse that minority groups experience in our country. It's, it's not a myth. It is very real. And truly, truly, in order to make the types of changes needed in our country's culture, a lot will depend on those who have benefited most here in our country. Uh, those who have benefited most must truly understand there's a need to shoulder a significant burden to get things back on track, get things back to where God wants them. For the Bible declares in Luke 14, 48, unto whom much is given, much is required. But again, with all that said, I can feel the burden of constantly being reminded of just how bad things have been. But let me implore you, don't get tired of doing good. Uh, don't get tired of hearing about the, the plight of the oppressed people. Don't let that stop you from desiring to understand better the condition of those who have been abused and misused and, yes, even oppressed in our country. Hang in there and don't give up and don't grow weary in doing good. But this morning, I want to shift the focus for just a bit. I want to shift the focus and specifically talk to my oppressed brothers and sisters. And I hope they hear me well this morning. To my oppressed brothers and sisters, there is a corresponding responsibility and burden that you must bear as well. It's a huge part of your ambassador's challenge. It's a huge part of my ambassador's challenge. Uh, what is this challenge? Uh, to my oppressed ambassadors this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 6, there are three challenges that I want to leave with you uh, this morning. There's the challenge to love, even if it's not returned. There's the challenge to love in place of hate. And, and there's the challenge to love as a demonstration of God's mercy. Now let's take a look at each of these challenges. Jesus uses the message of the Sermon on the Plains to challenge his followers concerning their response to, to oppression through emphasizing the priority of love. It's not a challenge that's so easily embraced by people who have lived under a system of oppression. I imagine that it was a difficult challenge for those listening to Jesus preach. And I know that it's a difficult challenge this morning as I stand before you. Why? Because Jesus challenges us to respond with love when addressing acts 
of oppression. Uh, Jesus does this in a very, very interesting manner. Uh, he contrasts the response of sinners to believers. He says in Luke 6, starting at verse 32, he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that for to you? For even sinners do the same. And verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Now, Jesus is hitting upon many important issues in these verses. First of all, here's what Jesus is saying. Don't use the expectation of receiving love as a reason to extend your love to others. To, relieve, to receive love from someone you love is not a bad thing. But giving love, to receive love as the primary motivation to love is wrong. And Jesus not only focuses in on love, he also extends this concept to doing good for others and to lending to others as well. Each of these areas represents a significant opportunity to respond to others even those who may oppress you to honor God in a loving way. Why? Because that's the second thing I want to point out from these uh, passages this morning. In contrasting love that flows out of the heart of a believer as opposed to the kind of love that comes from a sinner, Jesus is saying that the primary reason sinners love is because they expect a return of like kind. That's why Jesus closes verse 34 with the phrase, to get back the same amount. The more sinners love, the more they expect to be loving back. The same sentiment goes for doing good and for lending to others. You know, it's interesting, Luke uses the word benefit in this text this morning. Now, throughout the New Testament, the word benefit is often translated as grace. Now, what is grace? A key aspect of the biblical concept of grace is that it's unmerited favor. Grace is the divining virtue of the kind of love God extends to lost sinners. God graciously extends his love towards others who are not even capable of loving him back. God loves because it's his nature to love. The Bible teaches us so many times that God is love. One of our greatest benefits is to receive the gracious love of God. And even though we are unable to pay it back fully in like kind, to the same amount, we still, as redeemed sinners, need to be able to respond to others, especially those who oppress us, in the same kind of love that God has given to us. The kind of love that God has extended to us is gracious. We must likewise learn to extend the benefit of love to others in a gracious way. 
I want to especially declare that this should be true for those who love, who we call our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus declares in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is, if you show and demonstrate unmerited favor towards others. That is the defining characteristics of believers loving one another, to love. Oppressed ambassadors are called to love, even when it's hard to return to love in return, uh, especially to those who use their positions of power and influence to oppress others. The, the alternative, the alternative is to love like sinners. Is that really how we want to be known? To love only when we expect love in return? Jesus declares that is not what he expects from his people, including his oppressed ambassadors. Oppressed ambassadors are called to accept the ambassador's challenge to love, even if it's not returned. So what's the second point? from an ambassador's challenge. Well, take a look at verse 35. In verse 35, Jesus takes what I think is an interesting shift. Instead of talking about sinners, he switches over to a teaching about our enemies. I think this is a monumental paradigm shift for oppressed ambassadors to consider. I think Jesus is looking out on a diverse group of believers and understands that the world will seek to oppress them. And sadly enough, listen well this morning, beloved, and sadly enough, the oppression may even come from those inside of the new family that he's building. So what does Jesus do? Jesus takes the time to tell them how they are to respond to people who are determined to treat them like anything but a child of God. People who truly may be called their enemies. So to this group of oppressed ambassadors, Jesus issues the following provocative challenge. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So much in this verse. Our time would not permit us this morning to look at all of it. But let me, let me say this to you. First, when it comes to dealing with the enemies, those who are, who are out to oppress you, even if you find them in the church, Love them. Do good for them. Lend to them in spite of their hatred. And do so in a gracious manner. Uh, that's tough. It's, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a philosophy that runs counter to the culture we live in today. You know, our culture is, is more geared towards only loving others if they love us back. Uh, what so often is 
promoted in our culture today is to respond instead with anger and with hate. With anger and hate as the primary motivation of getting things done. Uh, that reminds me of uh, a couple weeks ago when we had a guest speaker, Dr. Ware, who, who came and shared with us many insightful thoughts. And one of the thoughts that Dr. Ware shared was, in his opinion, Jesus declares that, that love is the defining attribute that demonstrates to the world we are God's people. Again, yeah, that thought fits in with John 13.35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God expresses that love is the supreme motivation to get things done. However, however, the evidence seems to suggest that we believe something else in our culture today. It seems to appear that when you need to get something done, what you need to do is get people mad. Get them stirred up and bothered. Use fear as the motivation to move the masses. And you know, sadly, it appears to be working. Now look, it's one thing for our sports coaches to motivate our teams with what I call negative emotions. You know what I mean. Sick them. Go get them. Knock their heads off. They're the enemy. I must not have any Tennessee volunteers in this audience this morning. <laughs> That's just the American way. Now, now look, I, I certainly I say that in jest, and hopefully you guys are knowing I'm just joking and kidding around, I hope. <laughs> but on the other hand, that attitude really does seem to be a better description of how we respond to each other. It seems today our politics are more about hate than it is about loving your enemy. It seems that when it comes to business practices, we desire to destroy the competition. It seems that even in our families, there's more energy about maintaining broken relationships than it is about extending gracious, unmerited love to one another. Frankly, I just think Jesus' teaching about loving your enemy is simply out of style. But as his ambassadors, especially as his oppressed ambassadors, we are tempted to deal with oppression in the same manner, sinners deal with one another. And for the people of God, these things ought not be. As his ambassadors, we need to look at the example of Christ and recognize we just simply don't have that option. For Jesus taught in the verses immediately preceding our text for this morning, uh, in Luke 6, uh, and I'm going to read those from Luke 6, starting at verse 27. Here's, here's what Jesus taught to the oppressed ambassadors. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And then verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Those are the defining characteristics of how an oppressed ambassador is to deal with those who would treat them like anything but a child of God. We ought to follow the commands of Jesus, and we ought to trust in his ability to fight our battles. If if you want somebody to really get it, let God do it. They'll get theirs. In fact, uh, that's what Proverbs 25 and 22 seems to suggest. If you do good to your enemy, here's what he says he will do in verse 25, uh, 22 of Proverbs. If you do this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. To return hate with love is a powerful weapon in the hands of an oppressed ambassador. Are you willing to take that challenge? Well, that leads me to point three, and and I need to move on and and get this message to a close, but but look at me with what Jesus says in verse 36 of Luke 6. He says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. You know, that really seals the deal. Uh, God is telling us as oppressed ambassadors to not only have gracious love, but to be merciful, just as God is merciful. What, what is mercy? Mercy is God not punishing us as our sins uh, deserve. Uh, when others do wrong against us, uh, the first thought that comes so often to mind is, how am I going to get them? How am I going to make them pay for what they've done to me? Well, God says here, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. You know, we we ought to have more energy about living out our eternal Christian bill of rights versus fighting for our temporal civil rights bills. Christ is calling us to experience the freedom of extending mercy to others, even to our enemies. And that's the challenge that faces the oppressed ambassadors today. To live in a way that demonstrates that not only are we to love in the same kind as our Heavenly Father, we are challenged to extend mercy to others in the same kind. Do they deserve punishment for their evil treatments of others? Well, yeah. But let God carry out uh, the punishment. What we need to do is to demonstrate love and mercy. We, We ought to stand firm in the Lord and let him fight our battles because he said that he would. And so how do we live out this challenge Christ has given to us as oppressed ambassadors? Well, 
we love, we do good. We show mercy. Let me give you this one closing thought. I've talked a lot about oppressed ambassadors, and I've done so on purpose. Believers in Christ who live under oppression must always remember they represent King Jesus. And they must act like it, even in the face of oppression. But here's the truth of the matter. Every born-again believer in Jesus Christ, in one way or another, is an oppressed ambassador. You don't believe me? Well, just go live someplace where you're not counted among the group who holds a position of power and influence. And, and you will experience oppression at first hand. And, and you know what your, your uh, response should be? As an oppressed ambassador, you must love. You must do good. You must lend. And you must show mercy. We are all, if we count ourselves, as children of the king, we're all oppressed in one way or another. And as I talk to uh, our brothers and sisters who have borne upon the, the issues that we've talked about this morning, let me just say to each and every one of you, Jesus said, life will be difficult. Life will be full of pe people that hate you and would misuse you. But do good. Love, extend mercy, because you're an ambassador for Christ. Well, once again this morning, uh, we have before us uh, the example uh, that sets the highest standard for what it means to come and to serve as an oppressed ambassador. It was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came to offer up his life so that we would have a chance for eternal life.